When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with Alex Brandt Rasmussen, co-host Catherine Brandt, and sitting in for Andy, Cassie Schrader. What more could you ask for? We'll be right back. Our very special guest, Ron James, joins us next with the family. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Tommy, how long have you been at KQ? 36 years now. Wow, that's loyalty. Well, if I'm completely honest, it isn't the company that I'm loyal to. It's the listeners. I figured out a long time ago they're the only reason I have a job. Why are you asking? Well, we had another great month at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan. In fact, Burnsville continues to be the number one Nissan store in Minnesota. The loyalty part. Get to the loyalty part. Oh, yeah. This month, if you buy or lease a new Rogue or a Pathfinder from us, we'll give you an extra 500 off as long as you own or are leasing a Nissan. That is cool. Do they have to trade it? Nope. It's just a reward for being loyal. By the way, the new Pathfinder is fantastic. It's got a nine-speed transmission, and JLo says it'll practically pull the building. We also cut a deal with our good buddy Charlie Swenson, who's running a Nissan store in Chicago. He gave us some extra rogues. Because Charlie's such a nice guy. Well, Paul might have threatened him. Sounds like Paul. For details, go to Walzer Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan and claim your loyalty gift. Tommy, give him some Elvis loyalty. Thank you. Thank you very much. Rocking out, man. That's all yeah, I know. Man. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is called All Over the Map Rambles and Ruminations from the Canadian Road. Ron James, our special guest. How you doing, Ron? Good, brother. Nice to be on your show. It's I've been listening. It's amazing. That uh, Book of Hope, the author you interviewed who collaborated with Jane Goodall, has yeah. got a lot of great things to say. 
Well, it's yeah. very nice of you, Ron. And I, like I said, Ron, we need more people like that. We don't need people screaming at us about this. They need to go, you know what? This is the right thing to do, and let's do it together instead of, oh, my God, you're destroying everything. Everybody needs to calm down, and we'll get it done much sooner. Right? Well, the histrionics do tend to polarize, don't they? Yes. They do. I mean, well, that's um, what happened in America. There's no doubt about it. Oh, uh, look, I mean, from the cheap seats up in the bleachers here in Canada, I mean, the, uh, uh, you know, the four years of the Orange Mutant's reign. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, Canada there. legalized marijuana and couldn't have come at a better time because every time I saw him speak, I felt like I could burn through half an ounce. Well, <laughs> Catherine was just talking about that. My wife is here. Our, uh, Catherine's here. Our daughter Alex is here. And Cassie, uh, a family friend. Hi, everybody. Hi. Here. Ron, you know, it's amazing. The, the, the number one thing I took away from the vote last night in America was, because uh, I'm not a Democrat nor a Republican, I keep saying that because people don't, you know, they don't understand that, that I just like the fact that we moved a little bit closer to the center, whether it's from the right or from the left. It doesn't matter which one of you moves. You both need to move. It, Absolutely. It's yeah. clear that, uh, and this is also the case uh, up north, too, uh, uh, nonpartisanship is essential if we're going to move the world forward to mm -hmm. the right side of history. And defiantly marching backwards to some uh, golden era of the status quo is not going to get us anywhere. And yeah. uh, yep. this point that you brought up, too, about uh, all the leaders of the free world showing up in their private jets and, oh, yeah. and driving in... Uh, gigantic SUVs. Uh, it, this kind of optic is what perpetuates uh, cynicism amongst the everyman. Yeah, no, you're and absolutely right. we try to do our best. Look, I mean, <laughs> I was, uh, when I was a homeowner, I live in Toronto, but I'm on tour in Eastern Canada right now. It's my oh, okay. first live tour uh, since uh, COVID came calling and we pulled up the broad uh, drawbridge March 14th. And uh, but, uh, you know, the polarization of opinion is uh, is going to be the death of us because yep. we have to learn uh, to fight together. And I believe he drew an analogy to World War Two. And I took a great deal of uh, sustenance and um, uh, inspiration from my parents generation. I mean, my dad got 85 years out of it. and My mom is still alive at 90 and raised in the heart of the Great Depression when the uh, light at the end of that tunnel was the carnage of World War II. What? I mean, happy times are here again. Crack the champagne. <laughs> <laughs> they exactly. And all we were asked to do was keep our distance, go without a haircut, wash our hands, and binge watch Netflix. Yeah, see, that's all like, you need to do. we become, and you know, I, I, I remember reading um, this great article. Uh, this was during the dark days of Trump's tenure. Uh, when, uh, look, when me trumps we, everybody loses. I and agree. I'm no religious scholar, but I went to church. I know the Ten Commandments and love thy neighbor as thyself. Uh, come on, for all these fundamental Christians who are so anti-vax and anti-masker, enough with cherry-picking passages from Leviticus that justify your intolerance. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just think about the things that Jesus said and get on with the good work, man? Yeah, there you think go. Your neighbor. It's, it's so fundamental. And, uh, okay, have at it. No mask, no vaccine. Enjoy singing Battle Hymn of the Republic when you're face down in your own uh, mucus on a hospital floorway. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a pretty picture, Ron. Thanks. <laughs> You know, Ron, I got to tell you something. You're talking to a family here 
Um, Catherine and I got married 37 years ago. It's coming up. Congratulations. And we came to Canada for our oh, uh, our we honeymoon. We, we flew into Calgary, then drove across, went to Lake Louise and Banff. And you are not going to find Americans that love Canada more than the people in this room. I'll tell you that. <laughs> how, how sweet is that? That's oh, lovely. We, I'm telling Thank you, man. You. One of my favorite things is we're staying at the Chateau Lake Louise, and mm-hmm. my lovely wife at the time, she was, she was what, 23, 24 when we got a married? A mere babe. She was a mere babe, and we're staying in a suite at the, just this beautiful room at the Chateau Lake Louise, and my 24-year-old bride calls downstairs and said, how far will we have to go to see a glacier? And the guy said, why don't you look out the window? <laughs> That's awesome. I'm like, hey, in my defense. In my defense, Ron. I'm from, Minas- I'm from Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. I looked out the window. I'm like, you, you mean that snow on the mountain? Yeah, it looks yeah. like snow. I'm yeah. like, BFD. I mean, really. Well, at least you didn't ask. And uh, God knows Canadians are notorious for this. I don't know how smart we are in America. But at, at, at least you didn't ask, how far... How far do I have to walk to go to Toronto for a cappuccino? It's going to be a while. Been, that would have been the wrong one. Well, we're Minnesota. But, you know, we're considered Canadian light. Yeah, there's no yeah, well, Listen, I shot a commercial in Minnesota years ago when I was an actor in L.A. I, I did three years in Los Angeles. We, uh, I come from Second City in Toronto, sure. the sister company of Chicago. Sure. And yep. we sold a, a show to Ronnie Howard's company. And imagine, and we went down there to shoot. And... Uh, <laughs> to make a long story short, it was, it was a three-year battle in that carnivores arena of Los Angeles. Oh, but I did get oh. a lot of commercials, and I uh, didn't land the sitcom Grail. But I shot in St. Paul, and I was shocked at how similar we were. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. As right? a matter of fact, I have a great friend that lives in Toronto. He's a very close friend, a guy named Doug Dawson. And Doug and I, uh, I met him because we were down in Florida on vacation, and I played in a golf tournament. And they said, well, we try to do here. Uh, we've got a guy, uh, uh, Doug Dawson. He, you'll really like him. And Doug and I are really, really good friends now. But uh, I said to the guy, well, how did you pair everybody? They said, well, we just kind of put people together who are from the same area, and you're both Canadian. And I said, no, actually, I'm from Minnesota. And they said, well, isn't that Canada? They literally thought Minnesota was in Canada. Somebody, one of your own countrymen in Florida said that to you. That's correct. He, yeah, he, actually, thought, he actually thought you Minnesota was part of Canada. why DeSantis has the power he does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It's, right? really, it's amazing. Right? It's, I, I was the spokesman for Texas tourism on CNN that first year. Sure, CNN sure. came on the air way back in 91 when their, uh, when their tagline was, Texas, it's like a whole other country. You bet it is. <laughs> no doubt about that. Well, I was there New York, when the governor was a Democrat. Well, New Yorkers think that we all live in igloos, so it's yeah, it's not it's not just Florida, <laughs> dear. It's just oh, yeah. just yeah. There's yeah. all kinds of bias you know, against the Midwest. We always say uh, uh, in my country that Fargo was the best Canadian movie never made. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's North Dakota, but it's just pretty. It's pretty yeah. close to you. We it's can got drive that Midwestern there. bleak feel to it. Yes. Well, um, but uh, no, I, I I really enjoyed uh, shooting in your city for those three days. It was uh, it was it was great. And actually, you know, um, my time spent in America chasing uh, the American dream sired my Canadian one. 
<laughs> and uh, even though the adage of the enlightenment that one individual is responsible for their own happiness, which has been corrupted over the last 50 years by a Gordon Gecko pursuit of greed where more is not enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was barely getting by like so many struggling actors I knew in L.A. at the time. But I started writing about um, the ideal uh, of, well, particularly Hollywood, watching movies as a kid and then getting there later on in life with a wife and a young daughter until uh, that became up and down in shaky town, one man's journey through the California dream. But I started that at coffee houses on Ventura Boulevard. And uh, I would have your countrymen from all over America uh, say, Hey, uh, I like what you were talking about. And I had some passages in it about the, uh, uh, I'm from a city in Nova Scotia, Canada called Halifax, which faces sure. the North Atlantic. Sure. And it was the demarcation point for all the convoys going overseas in World War II, which Tom Hanks has just done a great movie on called Greyhound. Mm -hmm. They left from Halifax, they left from New York, and they left from Boston. Well, several people who were in that audience, and I make a point with this, uh, they had a connection with their father or their grandfather uh, who happened to be on uh, a minesweeper or heading overseas. And they came back with stories about my home city uh this founded actually in 1745 in nova scotia my province uh was always referred to as the 14th colony and the only reason we didn't join uh the 13 colonies to oust britain was because the british presence in halifax was just too strong as a military base but just much with chicago second city toronto second city and the cross-pollination of comedy with America and our, our common denominator in terms of pop culture and 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 um, government issues, and I hear, heard you talking too about about leadership and holding them to account. Right. Uh, it's all the same uh, in a certain way that we have this we have this connection as 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 neighbors sharing the same continent, which made it so heartbreaking. Who watched that uh, American id run amok, rip your country apart for four years, and Trump had the audacity to call himself a wartime president. I remember thinking, if he was on watch when the Japanese invaded Pearl Harbor December 7th, 1941, the Japanese fleet would have been drinking sake on the White House lawn New Year's Eve. <laughs> I think so. It was just... Ron, we're, i got to be honest with you. We're not doing really well with presidents in the United States of America. I'm not <laughs> no. a big fan of any of them, to tell you the truth. Oh, God, it's embarrassing. Well, they certainly have... Uh, it's, it, it's been a, a long time since FDR or... Uh, I mean, George I don't know Washington. Pardon me. I said, or George Washington for that matter. Or George Washington for that matter. But, you know, that guy owned slaves too, right? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. I was reading an article in the Guardian the other day where, um, where uh, I dropped into Mount Rushmore when I um, when I crossed uh, uh, America. I I, uh, I drove down. I had a. I was working up in Vancouver. I was on tour, and so I said, "Oh, I always wanted to." across the American West and, and see some of the iconic geography and country and things. And I went to Mount Rushmore and uh, there, the four presidents were there. 
and uh, I heard this father talking to his son, and uh, uh, the father said, uh, no, the son, uh, no, the father said to the son, who was about 12 years old, there's a head missing up there. And the son said, yes, father, and I know who it is. And the father said, who? And he said, Jesus Christ. And I thought, wow, man, uh, when you've got the interplay and the interconnection of religion with politics at that level, it's pretty hard to, um, if all your actions are justified according to a uh, biblical mandate, uh, it's pretty hard to, um, to move the world or to move the country in an, an impartial, exclusively political direction. Because everything can be justified that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Am I walking a fine line here with you folks? No, 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 no not at all. I just, the only thing that I'm a little distracted by, Ron, is I'm still pissed off that in Minnesota you have to drive south to get to Toronto. <laughs> that, that upsets me, Ron. I know. To tell telling. you the truth, I was I was pissed off when I heard that. <laughs> well, I'm telling. You. Yeah. God, you're gonna go. Well, the border was closed. The border was closed for the longest time. Yeah, and, that's uh, true. You know, yeah. My girlfriend and I are heading to New York City now uh, after my tour is over, just to you know see some friends and such, and uh, and uh, you know be in that exciting metropolis, see some plays and things, and. Sure. Um, you know, we're going to need uh, a negative. We're going to need a negative test uh, here before we go. We're going to need another one in New York when we come back. And uh, we need, uh, of course, our vaccine proof. But that's a huge thing for our borders to be open again. Oh, right? it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it is. And it was uh, uh, because, of course, I mean, one of the beauties of living in America is, I mean, you're still in your own country when you go to Arizona in February. Yes. <laughs> well, that's yeah, true. That is. Like, you know, not you, so, uh, not so up in the Great White North. But uh, you know, I um, I made my um, I made my living in Canada, uh, and I have to get back to this because it's it was such a um, uh, a definitive moment for me as a kid uh, to be meeting Americans for the first time, and um, it's uh, it's funny that uh, my Canadian dream was inspired by the American one because. I remember my folks and I used to go camping when I was a kid in one of our national parks, which is way at the at the terminus of the Trans-Canada Highway in this beautiful, idyllic corner of uh, of the country called the Cape Breton Highlands National Park. And it was at the height of the Vietnam War when the highways were filled with knapsacked, uh, tie-dyed travelers who thrown their hum to the merciful hum of the highway, looking to escape the southern draft. I guess the Clyburn Brook had a healthier ring than the Mekong Delta. Anyway, there were these squatter camps all over the place. So there was that was one section of America who was a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid. I thought, wow, was that ever cool, man? Reverend sing-alongs every night. Look at that dude. I think that's Bob Dylan. And someone would say, you know, that John Lennon was here last night. And you'd believe it, right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the families came and Oh my gosh! They had this magnanimous um, strut, this this confidence that came from being a member of the greatest nation on earth, uh, it, with this post-war confidence and a booming economy, despite what was going on in Southeast Asia. And they pulled into the campground in a 60-foot chrome-plated, hermetically sealed Airstream living unit. <laughs> I remember looking at that as a 12-year-old kid and thinking, dear God, it's the Jetsons. <laughs> oh, God, thank God for that. And they invited our families over to their Airstream trailer, 
and they gave the kids a tray of grape tang. I remember looking at the grape tang thinking, oh my God, I haven't even seen the orange stuff yet. <laughs> and when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon that night in July of 1969, they plugged a color TV into the side of their Airstream trailer. Oh, and we watched America take one giant leap for mankind. How cool was that? Oh, that That's is amazing. Awesome. And we were camping in a canvas trailer that I wasn't allowed to touch the walls of when it was raining or else it would leak. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So, so needless to say, there was something going on south of the border that we weren't getting up here. I could order a two-man sub. You In America, and the Sergeant Rock DC comic books, you could order a two-man submarine that it said good for up to under six feet of water. Yeah. Oh, well. Order board in Canada. The only thing you could get here in Canada in February was pneumonia. But <laughs> I found out later, this is the beautiful spin of American advertising, right? That somebody years later or something like that tracked these ads down that used to be in the back of comic books as a kid, like see-through walls, mm -hmm. those kind of things. And uh, apparently that... <laughs> Apparently, the two-man sub was a little, a little cardboard box with a toilet paper roll as a periscope. Oh, <laughs> sure, absolutely. Don't go far. Absolutely true. So you made an impression on this young kid, and uh, which is the only reason I'm talking to you today, and the only reason I wrote the book. Ron, I got to ask you a question because I, I was talking to uh, Bill Ingvall late, uh, earlier today, and I've, I've loved Bill for a long time. He's the nicest guy in the world. Do you think that Ron James and Bill Engvall, do you think comedians will bring us back to normalcy? Because, boy, you can't, you couldn't make fun of anybody. You couldn't joke around. You can't, oh, don't be, I mean, even Dave Chappelle got attacked. I do believe that, that comedians are going to bring us back to normalcy. I think it's the only way we're going to get there. Well, I will tell you, and um, I, uh, I believe this strongly, that um, one has to move the world to the right side of history and be progressive in their opinions. And it all depends on what targets you're picking. Satire punches up. Right. It doesn't punch down. Right, yes. It topples the man on the golden throne. It doesn't topple or kick the poor bugger in the, uh, in the gutter right. or the disenfranchised or the marginalized. Now, Dave Chappelle is worth probably what? A hundred, hundred and fifty million dollars? At least. At least. And he chose to pick on a trans on the transgender community. With the things that are going on in the world today, uh, I think there's far better targets for your satire when you've got a platform of such influence. Uh, my best friend's um, son transitioned. I know uh, a guy who ran the Winnipeg Comedy Festival who transitioned. Mm -hmm. And they changed their sex. They didn't uh, change their soul. And soul is what matters. And I think that eventually, I, 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 I think sometimes comedians begin believing their own press. Well, yeah, that's they true. they begin believing in their own messianic virtue. I saw George Carlin, who was my hero, growing up, mm -hmm. uh, the voice of the counterculture, the rebel voice, just so sterling and sharp in holding power to account, which is our job. And uh, I saw him in Vegas six years before he passed away. I remember it was, uh, you know, quite a while ago now. I paid 75 bucks at Harrods for the ticket 
The man talked for 90 minutes uh, to a room of 2,500 people and never got a laugh. And he didn't oh. care to. It was just vitriolic anger. And I remember walking away uh, impressed. <laughs> That's for sure that a man of his stature wouldn't care to hear laughter because that's our job. Yeah, yep. We're not more important yep. than the audience. It's an umbilical relationship. Yes, you have to strike a balance between artistic needs and audience expectation. That's expected. If people pay 60 to 150 bucks to see you, and yes, we have to rock the apple cart, but you don't punch down. You don't pick on the marginalized. You don't pick on the disenfranchised. In fact, a case in Canada just went to the Supreme Court a comedian from Quebec, a province notorious for their um, uh, um, for their uh, sense of uh, uh, entitlement. I'm just going to call it say the <laughs> entitlement. It's Bill C-21. Uh, no religious headgear anywhere in public, and I know they had a hard go under the yoke of the Catholic Church for all those years. But basically, it's racism uh, uh, disguised as nationalism under the guise of preservation of French culture. Anyway, this comedian decided to pick on a kid who was born with a genetic uh, abnormality, uh, which yeah. was uh, an inordinately large head. And he became a bit of a uh, cause celebre in Quebec. Uh, he ended up going to uh, Rome and singing for the Pope. And he was on TV all the time singing. Anyway, the guy decided to pick on him. Uh, because he was ubiquitous and he was showing up all the time. And I guess this kid, uh, 12 years old, mind you, couldn't defend himself, got on this comedian's nerves. And um, I thought, the, uh, anyway, um, uh, the, the kid was bullied relentlessly in school. Uh, he was pilloried. He fell into depression, <sighs> contemplated suicide. Uh, he was um, the brunt of this clown's uh, quote-unquote comedy. Mm, uh, his parents took the case to the um, uh, Human Rights Court in Quebec, uh, which should have been civil, actually. That's uh, They should have just sued the guy for defamation of character. But that's a hate crime, period. And uh, so it went to the Supreme Court of Canada, and they voted four to five in favor uh, of, uh, of this comedian. Now, this opens a door, and there's been an op-ed in our national paper, the Globe and Mail today, um, as uncomfortable as the decision was that it's a victory for freedom of speech. But if you've ever been to a comedy club and seen the number of hacks uh, and number of wannabes who stand in front of that microphone, and remember, yeah. they answer to no one and berate uh, everybody and anybody, so it's open season now, and it's been sanctioned by the Supreme Court of Canada. So it behooves the comedian himself to set the standard as to what will be the subject of his satire. And for me, it's not a 12-year-old kid with a genetic abnormality, right, yeah. right. nor is it transgendered people, especially when you've got, when you're worth, I mean, how much money is that guy worth? Did it's you like did, picking on Bobcat Goldwaite because Bobcat Goldwaite used to use that voice, right? Yeah. Come on, yep. Gary, you make 55 million bucks a year. Go buy another car and put a rich comedian in it with you and get a cup of coffee. Did, <laughs> no. did, did you, agree, did you watch way. Chappelle's uh, special? Did you actually watch I, it? I watched a bit of it and uh, I just found it self-indulgent. Because, right, I mean, I, I have not seen it. 
And I do know uh, some people that have seen it, and including people that are very progressive, far left, and they said, and I don't know what to think about this, they said if you watch the whole thing, that you, yeah. w you would not have been offended by it. It's the sound oh, okay. bites that people took that made it look really, really bad. I don't right, know. No, I have. I'll I haven't it, seen it. I don't know. And I mean, I'll give it a second chance. I, I don't know. I, I, um, I don't know either because it's just it is such a hot button issue. Look, the um, part of it, uh, the most important part of, of of a comedy show, okay, is the first ten minutes. Yeah. That's where you set your tone. Sure. That's where you. That's where you bring the audience into this, um, into this cocoon, of comfortability. But there are two classes in stand up these days. There's one where you want to make people happy. Personally, this is just, just me. I want people leaving the theater feeling a hell of a lot lighter than when they walked in. Yes, it's that's not nice. my job to put another brick on their back for the light journey. It's mine to lighten it and to make sense of the chaos we're all walking through in the language of laughs. Not just polarizing opinion, of laughs. I think, Big Enba, uh, I think uh, Bill Engvall does that. Yep. Uh, that, that, that guy that you just quoted. And... Uh, I, uh, I, I can't, I can't condone uh, the. <laughs> once again, I can't condone the messianic uh, purpose of a stand-up act that you have the final word on everything. But there are two. There are two schools of thought. There's one that's mine, which is you got to give everybody a good time and make sure they leave laughing. And then there's the other school of thought, where you got to rattle them. And you got to right. unsettle them, but yeah, it's how right. you chart that course. And I think if you chart that course with with conviction and compassion, it's a different thing altogether. For instance, when Ricky Gervais uh, took the stuffing out of pretentious, um, let's sweep it all under the carpet, Hollywood at the Golden Globes. Right. I enjoyed yep. that. I did because too. Once again, that's the he was toppling the privileged on their golden throne. Right. And um, that's just how that's what I like about great comedy. So I don't know if I sounded too strident there, folks, or not, but it's seems everybody gets strident these days about their opinions. But I, yeah. I just I just think that m making people feel comfortable rather than uncomfortable at a comedy show is the way to go. Well, let me just say this. The greatest line from American to Canadian always was triumph the insult comic dog. <laughs> so you're obnoxious great, and dull. <laughs> I thought what was that the was the line. I'm sorry. Uh, Triumph the insult comic dog. This, he was in Quebec, and he said, "Oh, you're French Canadian, so you're obnoxious and dull." <laughs> <laughs> now that's, that's funny. Classic, man. That's good, Ribby. And, and driving through Quebec too. I mean, uh, all the highways in Canada are great. You drive through Quebec. And they were all built by Cosa Nostra kickbacks, right? <laughs> That's no, true. Yes, no yeah, wonder they're so true. lumpy. They've got dead gangsters beneath the asphalt. <laughs> that's very, Quebec people don't know that. tail pistol with you just for having out of province plates. <laughs> uh, and by the way, too, they smoke in Quebec like it's a cure for cancer. I'm just going to tell you that. <laughs> you know, the first prize in a big Happy Meal for kids is a big lighter, for Christ's sake. And a McDonald's. Anyway, it's it's... I don't want to bash Quebec because they're the first to play no, the no, victim no. card. 
<laughs> and yet, uh, sure, they never gave indigenous people the right to vote until after Expo 67. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to tell you something. You asked, you asked yep. did I get a little too stride? No, you did not. And you know the difference between what you said and an obnoxious person? It would all, it would have been said with vitriol it would have been what do you think it would have been you know accusatory and challenging you're not like that i you could say whatever you want the way you carry yourself i know you don't mean harm to people you just have opinions and you'd like everybody to kind of like live a good life i don't think you were too strident at all you have oh, your opinion good, thanks it's all oh. that socialist conditioning up in canada <laughs> <laughs> you think that's what it is <laughs> look i love getting paid right when i was on the road i mean yeah. i had to pull a living from the far point a frontier playing around the frozen lip of Lake Superior in the dead of February. Sure. Uh, when it started out, oh yeah, logging trucks plowing out of the snow on my side of the road, threatening to bounce me into the afterlife. <laughs> you know, my, my end would have been marked by one of those spooky white crosses. Coyotes happily hop the highway to piss on. Anyway. <laughs> Find <laughs> the hell up there, and, but I wanted to get. I like, you know, I was like Chuck Berry, right? He always had to get two thousand bucks in twenties. Oh yeah, in oh, a brown yeah. paper bag before he played, right? Yep. Right. That is so a true story. I always like. I was like to get paid because I had two daughters, I had a mortgage to pay, the, re, the real stuff, and I wanted to put them through university. Well, they all studied socialism under the tenure of communist professors, and they came out Bolsheviks. <laughs> Ron, when are you so coming to town? You got to come to town, Ron. Right? I mean, they're, I mean, they're, they're woke, bro. They are woke. You got to come uh, to town I, and do some I shows. Tread carefully, I tread very carefully. What did my, what did my youngest say to me the other day? I, you know, no, the kids can't afford houses now, right? In the major cities, right. I don't know what it's like in St. Paul, but in Toronto, they'll just, it's just not happening. Right. And um, it's uh, outrageous. I mean, you can't even think about getting into a house that doesn't need renovations for. Um, a million bucks. Jeez. Right? I mean, I got into mine 20... When did I get into mine? Um, how many years ago now? 25 years ago, I guess, for 207,000 bucks. This little oh, World War II semi-detached that I renovated. Anyway, uh, I was talking to my youngest the other day, and she said, uh, I said, what about a down payment for your place? Because I knew I was starting on tour again, you know? And she said, well, Dad, I'm a little conflicted. Um, I don't want to be complicit in the capitalist exploitation of the urban poor. <laughs> There it is. There it is. And I thought, wow, I'm going to have difficulty with that. But anyway, um, I'm just wondering if you like the roast lamb I just made and that bottle of uh, of Rioja I cracked. That's okay? You're enjoying that? How's the oyster sitting with you? Oyster sitting okay? There you go. Because I came from working class people. My dad was uh, a phone company man. And uh, I mean, I worked my whole life. And uh, from the time I was 13, I'm not saying my children are lazy. They're not lazy. I mean, my eldest has her master's uh, in film and television from the University of Glasgow. And she works in a film co-op for documentary filmmakers. And it's a hand to mouth existence. But she's walking, you know, she walks the talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, my youngest uh, works at, uh, she runs a, a very successful uh, uh, locavore market in, um, in Toronto uh, that, <laughs> where, all the, where all the rich people shop. <laughs> and, uh, but they, um, they are women of substance and they are indeed, uh, I think, suffering from the same thing a lot of their demographic is suffering from 
which is this existential angst as to what we're going to do with the planet in order to fix it. But I find it very difficult, and I've heard you talking too, where um, any, as much as the right gets strident, the left can get strident too. Oh God! And yes. I I like gray areas. Yep. I like. I think that's where most of us live. Yep. Is just trying to put one foot in front of the other and get the sun in our face and the wind at our back. And I'm not saying that they're um, strident 24/7, but I have noticed that the politics get um, very um, very heated in a very short time. Yeah, it's true. Ron, you need to come to town one of these days, man. The book is out there all over the map, rambles and ruminations from the Canadian road. When's the next time you come to Minneapolis-St. Paul? Uh, well, I'd love to, uh, now that the borders are open, I'm looking at playing your theater festival. It's an excellent one, and I'd love oh, to good. get down there. And um, the book is available on Amazon, and it's also available on audio audible on audio so if you want to hear it read with a rollicking maritime accent from the windy <laughs> west coast east coast of nova scotia you're more than welcome i'm sure people will be calling you up and going what you recommend that for i don't know what language he's speaking you know ron i tell you this it's been a great show today because you're talking to a couple of guys that knew what they were talking about and and, and this is a perfect example of what i'm talking about you you came on you delivered a message you like some things you don't like some things but to be very direct about it, Ron, you weren't an asshole about it. That's all I asked, <laughs> right? Well, my father couldn't stand that. He said, say anything you want, just don't be a tool. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Ron, callbacks, I would. you got to come in the, stu- in the studio when you get to town, okay? I'd love to. It's This, is, this has been just great. I, I'd it love has. to meet everybody face-to-face. Well, come on down, pal. We'll look okay. forward to it. Thank you, Ron. Okay, all the best, folks. You too. Bye. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Ron James, ladies and gentlemen, we'll take a break. Be right back. A couple of minutes. Hey, it's Tom, and thanks to Profile, I've lost over 100 pounds. Yeah, that's right, over 100 pounds. I've been talking about Profile, and I'm telling you, I feel fantastic. Profile helped me, and they can help you, too. So now that I've lost that weight, it's time to maintain and keep the weight off. You've heard me talk about Danette, who helped me lose the weight. She's now guiding me to maintain keeping the weight off. She's been incredible. And I can't thank her enough. She is great. You should really reach out today. Profile will set you up with a free, no-obligation consultation. No reason to wait any longer. Like I said, it's an absolutely free consultation. Check them out at ProfilePlan.com forward slash Twin Cities. And if you use the promo code Tom Barnard, you will save $100 on your Profile membership. Reach out today. You'll be glad you did. Check out ProfilePlan.com forward slash Twin Cities. That's ProfilePlan.com forward slash Twin Cities. ProfilePlan.com forward slash Twin Cities. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. I met the folks from Shift Real Estate last year on our way to Key West and loved their story. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees because they list for a flat fee of $5,000, and that includes photos, MLS listing, online marketing, and the assistance of a full-time realtor. Tell Shift about your home, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more. Shift Real Estate, the common sense way to sell your home. Visit Shift2Sell.com because life is expensive enough. Boom, laka, laka, laka. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks to Ron James. Thanks to Doug. Doug, <laughs> great guest today. I love Doug. Yeah, guest. it's fine. He he um he felt the air go out of the room a little bit when he was doing a you know his his 
Trump stuff. And it's it's just I think it, people don't understand how Americans have so much f- fatigue. We have political fatigue. We do. We, we do. really no do. Because it. It, we've turned everything into politics. Yep. Everything. Shoes are political. It's just every single thing is political. And I mean, I'm not saying that it's not, but it's just you can't wake up every morning thinking, uh, how can I do something proper yeah. without being called out? Or yeah. how, how do I think today without being called out? And the whole Chappelle thing, I agree, you shouldn't punch down, you shouldn't be making fun of people that right. can't defend right. themselves and all that kind of stuff. But freedom of speech is something that we can't let go mm-hmm. of. And p- I, comedians, politicians, they choose their words. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are choosing it. Yeah, and true. if there's an audience for that, then there's an audience for that. But I don't think those people have a lot of longevity. So I watched the Chappelle special last night. Oh, you, oh, did. you did? Okay. Yes, I did. So, um, I was doing the billing for the podcast downstairs, and Dan was watching an interview with Chappelle, and I... He was eating chips and salsa, and I was like, oh, I just want a couple chips and salsa, and then I'll leave you to watch your thing. And then he backstory, like, no. backstory. Yeah, backstory. <laughs> and then he was like, no, you should watch the special. And I'm like, you just watched it. And he's like, you should watch it. And so I watched it. It's only an hour. It's like a little over an hour. It's huh? not yeah, very it's long. Not yeah, and he the whole time is talking about how in – so he did four specials for Netflix, like mm-hmm. all in a row. Yes. And this is his last one. And – in one called Sticks and Stones, I think it was his previous one, he talks about trans people. And then there was an article written up and about how he punches down to trans mm-hmm. people. And he's like, I don't, I didn't like that. That made me feel really upset that they think that I punch down, that anyone would punch down on anyone. All this stuff. And he goes on, talks about all sorts of stuff and how he had this trans woman that opened up for him when he was in San Francisco when they were good friends and all, all right. these things. And so he, yeah, he go. He, I mean, he makes fun of everybody, but a lot of it was just him being like, I just, I don't like the idea that anyone thinks that I mm-hmm. would punch down or anyone else would punch down. So. I think, to me, I've always gotten from Chappelle, like the specials and him talking about transgender people, it's more of coming from a perspective of someone who doesn't understand and can't go through the trans process because that's not how they think, you know? So they're like, how, you know, because like someone who is like just straight or just, you know, whatever, and I, you know, I identify as a woman, I don't identify as a man or anything like that. I don't understand how someone could be want to switch sexes not that it's a bad thing but we just but you don't, don't understand, understand that right? yeah yeah no, i don't understand how it feels right, yeah. so like i think that's what Chappelle was trying to like get across like coming from my perspective i'm not understanding this and it's getting confusing especially with all this gender fluid stuff pronouns all this i'm just like i don't even i'm afraid to call anybody anything because they're going to get offended and get mad at me and that's not my intent well that's well, the thing. and it's that's like, not okay either I well, know, but that's the that's the world we live in now. I know. But you know? so so the so the special, did you feel like he was punching down and making well, so, just just so blah, 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 he made, making fun of transgender people. That was his whole intent. So he made a couple jokes about trans people, but he made jokes about feminists <laughs> and white people okay, that's and like it. everybody. Yeah, <laughs> like mm-hmm. everyone. He made jokes about everybody, but then he got into like the serious stuff and he's like, "No, listen." And he's like, "Where I where I stand, I think the gender is a fact. Everyone here was born with a gender 
Mm-hmm. Or it's like, as people, it's sex is a fact, not gender. Right. Gender is right. a construct, as mm-hmm. they say. Mm-hmm. But he was like, I think gender is a fact, and everyone is born with you're a female or male. And it's the identity thing that you can change, and that's fine, but it doesn't mean that you're birth because he was talking about how in North Carolina there was a bill that was passed that people need to use the bathroom according to the gender they were assigned at birth mm-hmm. and he was like I don't think that makes any sense to me mm-hmm. okay and he went into this whole story and whatever and so he didn't see I wouldn't from my perspective be like he's anti-trans and he was friends with this trans woman that opened for him and she apparently was horrible but he was like and we were good friends and all this stuff and so yeah i don't so you didn't feel you didn't didn't feel what everyone's yelling about well but i i think i could see where people would think that because he does make jokes about trans people but he makes jokes about (laughs) everybody and you have to with comedy be able to be like it's not serious like he's not this isn't how he actually thinks because then he goes into how he actually thinks you know mm-hmm. so it's like yes if you just take one of his jokes about trans people you would be like uh you know mm-hmm. if you were yeah. really upset about the treatment of trans people but he was talking about how so there's that rapper baby. Mm-hmm. he once shot and killed a black person in like a Walmart or something in North Carolina, mm-hmm. <laughs> like killed, didn't do anything to his career. Dave Chappelle, he says this in his special. He's like, didn't do a, didn't do anything to his career. But at a concert a couple, like a year or so ago, he made a bunch of horrible comments about gay people and how they all have AIDS and stuff. Oh, okay. and that then they canceled him. The baby got canceled, and so he's like, Dave Chappelle, he's like. I just think it's crazy that you can shoot and kill a black man and it does nothing to your career, but you make gay people upset and you no longer have yeah. a career. He's like, that's where it, do- it doesn't make any sense There's to me. There's no balance. Yeah. He's like, how does this line up? Okay, I have a question. Yes. I already brought up the Tesla deal, the, first, the fact that we own the first Tesla in the state. But on the other side of that, years ago, many, many, many years ago, we had a woman-to-man and a man-to-woman two transgenders in the KQ studios mm-hmm. and interviewed them about what that was all. This was a long time ago. Not one call from any po- politician, any progressive, any whatever, you. saying, boy, that was very bold because we did get calls saying, what the hell are you doing that for? Yeah. Not yeah. one person called and said, man, you should be proud of yourself for giving them a voice like that. This was long before anybody gave a rat's ass about mm-hmm. it. But again, that's because Cliff became Lauren, mm-hmm. who did the first transgender traffic report in the history of America <laughs> on the KQ morning show. Transgender traffic. He did, or she did. <laughs> she, did. she was a woman at the time. Uh, you, you know, that's what I always look back at. They talk about, oh, we need to do something about the fuel thing. Well, we had a, we tried to get our house totally non-reliant on gas, you wouldn't let us. I drove a Tesla. Everybody thought it was a pain in the ass. We had transgender people on the show. Nobody gave a shit. So where did all you geniuses come from in the last 15 years? Well, and I feel like it's... it's Social media. Yeah, yeah and well, that's and exactly it's what's popular answer, today. Yeah. I mean, people are people are herd animals and bandwagon jumping yeah. people. That's what well, people but, are. And there's no room for nuance with any of right. this no. like we i took a biology of women class in college the, mm-hmm. that was like my one science class that i had to take with my degrees um 
And we had an assignment, I remember, and the assignment was that if you gave birth to a baby that mm-hmm. had a non-specific gender, because there are gender disorders where it's sure. like you have to choose, like right. would would you choose the baby's gender? Which one would you go with? Why? Or would you not? And why? And you had to write like. 200 words about it or whatever. And I didn't write 200 words. I wrote, I cannot tell you what I would do because I don't think you can make this decision unless you are in it. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I was like, I can't write 200 words on this because I have no idea what I would do. Exactly. And I could tell you all day long yeah. what I think I would go. do, but I don't know. And I got an F. Because I they didn't gave write, you an F. Because I didn't write two hundred. Well, see, that's exactly. Because I didn't write two hundred words, and it was about yep. you have to write two hundred words on your decision. And I'm like, I can't make this decision. I'm not. You can't say what you would do, unless. I mean, parenting teaches you major league that you have all these like, oh, I'd never do that, or oh, yeah. oh you can't <laughs> believe that they that. would do that, and then you're doing it because you're just like, this is what. You got to survive. Reality hits you right in the face when you got kids. Yeah, so it's like I could never, especially with that big of a decision. I'm like, I'm not gonna. I'm a, you know, 19 years old in this college class. Yes, I would choose my baby's gender because of X, Y, Z, and you told me to, so I have to. You know, I'm just like, this is ridiculous. There's just no room for conversation or intellectual conversation anymore. I could easily just go on Facebook right now, and put a very innocent question about a transgender like you know just something basic like i want to know i'm i want to be informed like right. why why do you guys feel that this needs to be like this and instead of getting an answer all i will get is Attacked. hate oh, and yeah. attack and oh, it's yeah. like that's not what i'm t- asking here why don't you just answer my question that's all i'm asking and and then of course you know if you question anything you're a bigot you're a racist you're you know (laughs) anti-trans i just keep my mouth shut because i don't i just don't want to deal with it don't forget stupid oh yeah stupid stupid. (laughs) ignorant but why don't they bother to look at the history that's what i'd like to know i don't know they don't ever bother to look at anyone's history they judge you on what you just said today i know because everybody's a um live in the moment right now on their phone so judgmental everything they just don't have any type of constructive uh concept at all at all and it's just like i mean people just have just this knee-jerk reaction to everything now they do. So, I don't know. God help us. <laughs> I know if we go one more minute, I have to pay overtime, so we got to wrap <laughs> okay, it up. Okay, all right. Union, union boss is right outside yeah. the door. You Knocking on the door. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.